said at the beginning that you most, most of you know me. Um, there was a time when my children used to suffer by being said, oh, your dad is Jim Rushton. Whereas now coming here, you can expect to say, you're Helen Wright's father, aren't you? <laughs> no, I haven't. Do you want me to? Well, yes, I mean, I, I have done now. Is it? Right, good. That was just so I could get my notes out and uh, my Bible open to the right page. Um, I thought I'd start with a, a word of encouragement. Uh, we read the Scripture Union readings at home, and it's Psalm 92, the set reading for this morning. And uh, closing words of this psalm say this, The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. So however old you are this morning, there's hope for you, as there is for me too, <laughs> as I get older. Now, this is the season of Epiphany. If you uh, happen to come from Eastern Europe and were a Christian, yes, there are a few nods in the distance there, you would know that this is the main season for rejoicing as opposed to Christmas. So we are thinking about uh, Epiphany together this morning. And from my text, I'm, I'm using the English Standard Version, but it's very similar to what was read. Ephesians 3 and verse 6. Paul says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. My wife has discovered a new channel on Freeview. <coughs> it's channel 81. Any of you come across channel 81? Well, we came across it entirely by accident, but it shows old films continuously, mainly in black and white. And her theory is that the old films always had proper stories and good always succeeded over evil. In other words, they were happy themes rather than some of the more complex themes that modern dramas tend to present to us. And one style of uh, film or book or whatever that my wife likes is a mystery. You know, the kind of Agatha Christie who done it sort of thing. You, you read it and you try and make up your own mind who was the actual one who did the poisoning and then you find out afterwards that it was somebody completely different who looked like an innocent clergyman or something like that. <laughs> well, in our epiphany reading this morning from Ephesians 3, we had the word mystery three times. I was fascinated because I had the prayer book with me at 8 o'clock this morning when I was doing 8 o'clock communion with All Hallows, and I used the ESV to prepare for this, 
And I thought there's another version here. Are there three references to mystery in your version of the Bible? And there is. Mystery occurs as a theme in Ephesians chapter 3. Well, there are certainly some mysterious aspects to the visit of the Magi or the wise men. I hope we all know by now that there weren't three wise men. Not that we know how many there were, but simply that we're not told how many there were. There were just wise men who came. And we don't know exactly who they were. They traveled from either Iraq or around that region um, to be in Jerusalem. They were clearly not Jewish. They were pagans. And they were there out of a result of their astronomical studies. That was their interest, and those studies led them to believe that something dramatic was going to happen in Jerusalem at that time. They were and are mysterious figures. We don't know any more about them than that. So let's be honest, there's a lot we don't know when we come to read the Bible. We know the biblical record, but we're not told everything that goes on in the culture and the background and so on. We can only, by doing study and so on, uh, try and seek to, to know the culture as well as we can. But um, there's a lot that we don't actually fully understand from the world in which the Bible was written. But when we come to Paul using the word mystery in Ephesians chapter 3, this has nothing to do with being mysterious. It's not a whodunit as to work out what the problem is that he's talking about. Mystery here has a special meaning, and it's crucial, really, to our understanding of the whole Bible. Paul's mystery is about learning God's plans. The mystery is a secret that is now revealed. Now let me give you an up-to-date example where you'll see how it's true today. For you know that uh, our government has, in its wisdom, decided to put a high-speed rail link from London up to the northwest and to uh, encourage the powerhouse that is going to be us or is us or whatever it is. But th that has been announced. But before it was announced... There were people who were studying these things. There were committees that were set up, set up, and they drew up feasibility studies so that the government could say, yes, it is possible for us to announce to the public that we're going to do this. So there were people who knew there were going to be a high-speed rail link, when it comes about, um, from London to here. But until it was announced... We were in ignorance. Now, that's the kind of mystery the Bible's talking about. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He knew what the plan was, but he only revealed his plan at certain times in history. And so, when Jesus was born, the mystery was revealed. The plan that God had had from the very beginning and had promised to Abraham was now to be revealed to the world. That's what we're thinking about together this morning. So there's no mysterious thing about this mystery, simply that what was now in God's hands 
is made public for the world. And Paul is saying in his epistle that all that God had planned has now been made public knowledge. In my version, he calls it the plan of the mystery. And I think in what was read, it was called the administration of the ministry. It's the carrying out of this plan of God, which has now come into public knowledge. So we're recognizing today that God doesn't reveal everything to us all at once. And I can just say that in the light of Anne's situation this morning, that as we are living a life which we know only ends in one way, and through the gospel we believe that God has given to us eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore our hope is that we are going to glory, we don't know what that glory is going to be like in detail. We know we've got pictures of it, we know it's wonderful, we know it's beyond our understanding, but one day we'll be there and experience it. So there are mysteries for us yet to be revealed to us. So let's think about that as we think about the mystery of the epiphany. Well, the preparation of this mystery. When these wise men or magi came to Jerusalem to seek for a king, the Jews had a very clear idea in mind if a special king was to be born. Let's face it, in their history, they've been through a lot. They all saw themselves as children of Abraham. They knew that God had given to Abraham wonderful promises, but their occupation of Canaan, the promised land, took many years to come about, and when they got there, their early life there was chaotic. If you read the book of Judges, it was one crisis after another. And it wasn't really until David became king that the nation came together and was unified as they got control of Jerusalem and the temple was planned to be built there. That's how the nation really you know, got a focus together as opposed to being individual tribes doing their own thing. And it was only during Solomon's reign that you could really say that Israel was a superpower. And we know that once Solomon died, it all collapsed. And it ended up in Assyria coming and taking the northern kingdom away, Babylon coming and taking Judah away, and the whole nation going into exile. And then after 70 years returning back, and the return back, yes, they could rebuild the temple, they could get life established again, but it wasn't really glorious. And there were 400 years when there wasn't a word of prophecy in Israel. It was a grim time. So that was the context in which these wise men came to Jerusalem. The people believed that they had got great promises from God, but they hadn't been fulfilled. The one bright light through all that history of Israel was the work of the prophets. The prophets declared the word of God, and they said to the Israelites, you try and have the best of both worlds. You try to be like the nations around you, but you want to have God as well, and it doesn't work. And if you live like that, it'll end in disaster, and it did. But the prophet said, but God is faithful to his promises. God will be faithful to Israel. God will bring blessing. 
there will be a time of glory for the nation. And that's what they were thinking of when the wise men came. They were thinking in materialistic terms, we're going to be a great nation again, and the Gentiles are all going to come and recognize us. That's what they were hoping for. That was the preparation for the time for the Magi to come. So how did it work out? Well, I wonder if you saw on Northwest News, I think it was the ITV Northwest News, that one Nutter, Manchester United footballer, visited a school in Oldham, which is where I come from, and which was from a deprived area in Oldham, and he had taken gifts with him because he said, in Spain where I come from, in the church that I grew up in, Epiphany is the great season for giving. Epiphany is a wonderful feast for Christians, not just for Eastern European Christians or Christians in Spain, but for us here today. How did God work out his plan for human history? Well, by bringing complete outsiders to worship Jesus, firstly. And the significance of this is underlined by the difficulties that these wise people had. They encountered, when they got there, they weren't sure whether they were being welcomed. The court of Herod was hardly encouraging. The warning in the dream that they shouldn't go back to Herod's court showed how complex the situation was in Palestine at that time. And what did they find in Bethlehem? Well, they found a toddler, yes, a young child, not a baby, wasn't in the manger where they came to see Jesus. They found him in a normal domestic situation. He wasn't living in a great palace or a great house or anything like that. He wasn't surrounded by riches or anything like that. It was just a normal situation. It was nothing like the eternal breakthrough into our world that it actually was. It wasn't what they would have expected. And the epiphany actually shows what Jesus' future would be like. Because Jesus grew up in an ordinary home, and when he began his ministry, people said, how can this man say these things? How can this man do these things? When we know that he's just an ordinary lad from Nazareth. That's what God's message to the world was like. But then secondly, this epiphany came about through the conversion of Saul of Tarsus and the insight that he was given. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 3. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. No one could have been more Jewish than Paul. No one had been given a greater insight into all that Jewish history and the writings and so on had given to the nation. No one could have had more inherent prejudice as a Jew than Paul. 
So when his eyes were opened to what God's plans were, it was truly revolutionary. And the rest of it is, as they say, history. The message of God's saving love in Christ Jesus from Pentecost through the ministry of Paul and other of the apostles, the message of God's saving love in Jesus Christ has spread through every part of the world. And people of all backgrounds, colours and inherited beliefs have turned and are still turning to Christ to find salvation in him. So this is the epiphany. This is the message that God's saving love and the bringing of Christ into the world is for the whole world, for all nationalities, for all peoples. And this is our world today, the gospel age. This is what you here at St. Stephen's are here for, to be a light, to share the message that God has brought through his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. So, we're celebrating the epiphany, God's revealing of his plans for our world, and our lives as Christians are set in this glorious context. What was prophesied in the past and revealed in the visit of the Magi and the pioneering ministry of St. Paul is the context of our lives today. And just look at what God has planned for his church I read from verse six or verse seven onwards. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power to me. Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. The church has the power and the authority and the responsibility to reveal what Jesus Christ is and has done, not just to the Putins and the Trumps and the leader of the Chinese Republic or whatever you can think of, Mrs. May on the television this morning, not to just those kind of rulers, but to the rulers that are unseen, the rulers that are in the spiritual realms. In other words, to the whole of creation. The church has been given the privilege and the responsibility of proclaiming this gospel to the whole of the universe. But that isn't where it all ends. Because the perfection of God's revealed mystery is in a wedding and a feast. It's in the wedding where the bride of Christ is brought to the groom, Christ himself, and made at one in heaven. And a great peace is enjoyed of all the redeemed in eternity. It's in the triumph of God's love over all the negative things in life. It's in the end of human conflict and hatred and bloodshed. It's in that mystery yet to be revealed in the return of Jesus in glory and the restoration of all things that this mystery, this epiphany, 
will be completed. The message of Epiphany fixes our eyes on things that are yet to be. Now, you're bound to be thinking of the future of your church. I offered to come this morning because I recognised it was really the first real Sunday in the new year after celebrating New Year's Day last Sunday. Um, because I've had a long association with you when I was working as area dean in Preston. I got to know quite a number of you then in those days and uh, obviously kept in touch since then until this time. I wanted to be here today to be with you on what I feel is a special Sunday for you as you face the future. One thing you need to be sure of this morning is that God has not forgotten you. Those Jews who heard about these men coming and saying there's a king being born, who is this king, where is he going to be born, and all the rest of it, who were waiting for God to do a wonderful work for them, God had not forgotten them. We have a God who is working his purposes out. We need at the beginning of a new year to be at a place where the wise men were when they fell down and worshipped. God's gift to the world. The only answer to the world is Jesus. The only thing we must seek to be is to be faithful to him. So with the Christians in the Eastern tradition, I wish you all a very happy epiphany today. Believe the message of God's revealed mystery and go forward in the power of his spirit to bear testimony to the King of the Jews, the Saviour of the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the grace which opens blind eyes to see that Jesus is the Saviour of the world, the grace that has worked in our hearts and lives. We thank you, Lord, that all your purposes, all your intentions, all your promises are fulfilled in Jesus. And you have brought us to him, our Saviour. So we pray that you will give to us hope and confidence in you and humility to humble ourselves before you, to trust you for now and for the future. Think of those like Pat, uh, who are going through difficult times at this time, and her family. Give them, Lord, that strong confidence in your purposes being fulfilled in their lives. So we commit ourselves to you, Lord, in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.